the other big thing I think that we really haven't mentioned that has come out of this is the recognition of the disparity in healthcare delivery, which is really uh, going to put an emphasis, I think, on more the social determinants of health. Uh, really, only about 20% of health is related to what you get from a physician or a hospital. The rest are genomics and the social determinants, which really are enormous. And Hello, and welcome to Startup Health Now, our weekly show about the entrepreneurs, the innovators, and the investors transforming healthcare. My name is Stephen Krein. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Startup Health, and my partner and co-host, Unity Stokes, and I have been on a mission to improve the health and well-being of everyone in the world for the past 10 years. And our goal is to invest in and support a global army of entrepreneurs who are committed to solving the biggest health challenges of our time. We are honored today to welcome back to Startup Health, Dr. Toby Cosgrove, the legendary former CEO and president of the Cleveland Clinic. Toby is now an executive advisor to the renowned Cleveland Clinic, as well as to Google. And he serves on numerous boards, including American Well, AliveCore, Hims and Hers, and two of our portfolio companies, RX Review, and the ABLE channel. And I'm also honored to announce that Dr. Cosgrove is officially joining the Startup Health Board of Advisors and our Health Impact, Health Moonshot Impact Force. So as we were preparing for today and we watched the last six years of Startup Health Festivals where Toby has been so gracious to visit with us and discuss what he saw looking forward every year, but also looking backwards. And it's amazing how innovative and forward-thinking both Toby and everybody at the Cleveland Clinic were for the past decade or two, because I think we're now living in a world in which Cleveland Clinic has been telling us about for so long. And I think that is a great segue to welcome Toby and our first question, Toby. Um, you know, a year ago, you were on stage with us at the Startup Health Festival a global pandemic was brewing just weeks away from being around the world. And over the past 12 months, I think it's now appropriate to refer to this new historical context of before COVID and after COVID, BC and AC. So today, as we gather on Zoom, um, and we have for the past year been on Zoom, I want to talk about how the global pandemic has impacted healthcare and I'm really specifically asking about for the clinician and the hospital, but of course, I'll extrapolate that out to entrepreneurs. I think it's been an enormous change. This has been something that has really uh, made us rethink how we deliver healthcare uh, everywhere in the world and how the world is interconnected. I think perhaps uh, the biggest change that's come out of this as far as the delivery of care is concerned has been the uh, introduction in a major way of telehealth. Uh, and telehealth has really uh, come into its own. Uh, it, it was starting, uh, but this has been a tsunami uh, that of telehealth. Uh, essentially, Cleveland Clinic went from 2% uh, of their um, appointments to 60% of their appointments. 98% of diabetics were looked after virtually. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be a backslide from this. 
at the end of uh, COVID and, or when we get COVID under control, but nonetheless, uh, telehealth is here to stay. And I think that opens up a huge number of other potential opportunities. Now, as far as uh, the, the delivery system is concerned, I think it has changed uh, in a financial way uh, the healthcare delivery systems. They have been under enormous financial strain uh, over this period of time. Um, and I think what you're going to see is where prior to this, 20% of the hospitals were running in the red um, across the country. I think you're going to see an increasing number and also the realization uh, that um, more and more hospitals are going to have to have the ability uh, to maintain their security um, and they're going to rely uh, increasingly on um, worrying about being hacked. Um, and uh, they're therefore gonna to turn to major systems. Very few community hospitals either have the financial or the intellectual capability uh, to manage um, this uh, cybersecurity. And uh, this is gonna uh, bring around increasing move towards systems. Um, and um, so those two things, uh, the financial stress and uh, cybersecurity, I think are gonna drive increasingly hospitals into major systems and similarly physicians into a more employed state than they are right now. Two thirds of them are salaried right now. I think it's only gonna increase. Yeah. So you, you mentioned a couple of things I just wanna unpack in there, Toby. Um, number one, you know, you were talking a lot about these technologies for the past decade, and everybody knows that Cleveland Clinic was very forward thinking as you were pushing for these, uh, you know, this adoption to happen sooner. How, how much, not that anybody was prepared, but how, what did those first, you know, couple of weeks look like as you needed to transition to this type of care? And the reason I want to bring it back is comparing it to other hospital systems, but on, on the flip side, you mentioned you think a backslide will occur. And I just wanted to kind of understand how you thought about it from the Cleveland Clinic perspective, but then also what you're seeing out in the, you know, in the market. Well, I think two things happen. First of all, I think uh, healthcare uh, uh, practitioners uh, became increasingly comfortable with it. And secondly, patients became increasingly comfortable with it just out of the necessity for, for frankly, for both of them. And as a result of that, um, I think it is now uh, become part of the lexicon uh, of every um, healthcare delivery system is now part of that. So this is, this is a, a game changer. Um, and with that, you're going to see um, more technology <clears throat> allowing people to uh, take care of themselves um, uh, at home. Um, this is I think you you mentioned AliveCore, the, the the ability to get your electrocardiogram um, on uh, something the size of a, a stick of gum. Um, I think that coupled with uh, scales and oximeters and blood pressure cuffs are going to allow a lot of people um, with um, um, with their um, uh, with congestive heart failure to be taken care of at home and be better cared for. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of looking after people and keeping them in place uh, at home. So why, why did you, 
mention you think a backslide will occur. Just want to see what what you're thinking uh, is about I, that. I, it's almost like we're gonna are we gonna forget about the traffic we were just in? <laughs> no, I, I think it is uh, going back to the mean. Uh, uh, you know, people like to go back to where they're familiar with. Uh, they were forced into telehealth, uh, and I think more and more people are going to be. Uh, going back to where they were and we started to see that already frankly yeah did you what do you think we can do from an entrepreneurial perspective from an industry perspective we can do to prevent as much backsliding as possible it seems like there's an element of making this work better and not enabling or allowing that to happen if we can well i think there's there's a couple of things first of all uh clearly uh the government uh needs to continue to reimburse uh, for telehealth. Um, and uh, secondly, I think that, that they need to uh, uh, enable people to do it across state um, borders, uh, which has been a problem in the past, but I think uh, will um, be, it was relaxed during uh, COVID and I think needs to continue to be that way. What, what do you think what do you think the world looks like over the next five to ten years because of the pandemic and what we've been forced to both adopt but also learn over the past 12 months? Well, I think a couple of things we, we've learned. First of all, we've learned that the world is um, interconnected. Uh, diseases can no longer just stay in Africa or in Asia. Uh, they are uh, the something that is uh, connected. Uh, by airplanes uh, and they will go every place. I think that um, we're going to see, um, the other big thing I think that we really haven't mentioned that has come out of this is the recognition of um, the disparity in healthcare delivery, uh, which is really uh, gonna put an emphasis, I think on more the social determinants of health uh, really only about 20% of health is related to what you get from a physician or a hospital. Uh, the rest are genomics and the social determinants, which really are enormous. And, um, and a lot of those boil down, frankly, to uh, the economy. And so um, hospitals and healthcare providers are not trained or financed uh, to deal with the social uh, determinants of health. Um, they're going to have to collaborate uh, with other organizations uh, that provide those sorts of support uh, for people. And we're seeing that uh, in the United Way, for example, in Cleveland, that is now uh, beginning to look at uh, lead uh, in homes. It's now beginning to think about uh, eviction from homes, about food, et cetera. So um, there's going to be increasing, I think, collaboration that goes across uh, communities uh, from healthcare providers in order to begin to deal with these social determinants. Toby, you, you mentioned one of, one of our magic words, collaboration. We focus on this concept of collaborative innovation. And I think one of the extraordinary achievements that we've seen in healthcare over the past year really is collaboration around the vaccine. So Pfizer- Amazing. But Amazing, by the way. Really, really extraordinary to see that leap forward progress. Um, is is this a, a new era for collaboration in your mind for healthcare? Will we see this in other 
aspects of, of healthcare post-COVID? Well, you know, what, one of the things that I really think that is going to bring about uh, increasing collaboration is going to be the democratization, if you will, of healthcare data and information. Um, and uh, I think you can uh, see that this is going to happen in a, a number of ways. We're looking now, for example, at things like um, real world data uh, that is now the FDA has embraced and the, uh, that is now CMS is beginning to look at how they begin to look at uh, the data. And that is gonna require that um, data be stored differently. Um, and there's going to be have to be interoperability about it. Um, and there's gonna have to be transparency about it. And once you get that, then you get uh, the collaboration uh, that goes across the entire healthcare delivery system. And you see a number of major uh, moves in that uh, way. Let's, let's take, for example, data and how you store it. Um, you know, everybody has been storing their data in a data center um, and not terribly secure. Um, and similarly, it doesn't have uh, the interoperability. And if you, all of the major cloud providers have agreed that they would be perfectly happy uh, to um, share data with permission across uh, various clouds. This is an opportunity that we haven't had in the past for interoperability uh, and the transparency of information. Um, and uh, that can, and uh, this opens up enormous number of opportunities for patients, for research, uh, for um, all um, the uh, improvement uh, and looking at the various factors which uh, affect health. For example, um, looked recently at the Cleveland Clinic about uh, the various determinants of cardiovascular disease. And it was found out that it was very much related to where you lived and what the socioeconomic factors were. That comes right out of the census data. Um, so think about all this data that we're dealing with now. Um, and the total amount of data now in healthcare is doubling every two and a half years. Um, it's the biggest contributor of data in the world. And it's up to us to mine it with AI and machine learning um, to manage. Uh, and we're gonna find out things as far as prediction, uh, as far as drug discovery, um, as far as uh, care models um, that uh, just from looking at this enormous amount of data that's out there in all kinds of forms. And do you think, should we expect to see you mentioned cloud cloud companies as, as being one of the pillars here. Much more collaboration between the technology industry. One of your first themes you talked about was cybersecurity. Now we're talking about data and the cloud, AI, things like this. Um, so really collaboration between healthcare and, and, and technology, do you think we'll see an acceleration of, of these types of organizations working together more closely? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. For example, I just recently uh, talked um, with uh, Edwards and Edwards has just done a study look, uh, combined with Optum, looking at the incidence of aortic stenosis uh, and across a million patients um, that, I mean, this is a study 
bigger than anybody's ever produced before. I mean, this is taking the data and the technology industry and using them together to figure out things that we never suspected before. Um, very exciting stuff. And in a, a, a post-COVID world, you know, I, it seems like a lot of people have been burned by the last few decades of interoperability, billions of dollars going into this data challenge. Um, what do you think is different now in a, in a post-COVID world? Is it that the technology is different, the moment's different? Are there some other scenarios that are different? We have a company, for example, Particle Health, that's using the blockchain to try to mm -hmm. solve this issue. Do you think the conditions are just simply um, better now for this problem to finally be solved? Well, I think we've had to rethink. Um, I mean, this has been a major reset in healthcare. And I think it's made us uh, think uh, differently about things. Uh, I just started a book uh, called Think Again by Adam Smith, uh, a, at the, a professor at the Wharton School. And, and, uh, and he's talking about, okay, let's not hold all of these, uh, our learnings as sacrosanct. Uh, let's rethink them um, and, and see if we can't come to a better way uh, of uh, using uh, our resources. And you stop and think about COVID has made us do just that. <clears throat> I think it's made us step back and, and think about, okay, we've now got data. We've got um, the uh, major uh, capabilities of dealing with it. And I think uh, quantum computing is right on our doorstep and we're gonna be able to deal with major data sets that we've never been able to deal with before and learn things from it. Um, and um, if you stop and uh, think about those sorts of um, opportunities, uh, I think that COVID has given us an opportunity to do that. Yeah, um, just a reminder to, uh, to all the audience, if you have questions, feel free to put them in the Q&A chat. We'll try to integrate them into the conversation here. Um, and while those questions are coming in, um, just, just one more for you. What are your thoughts on all the, the entrepreneurs, all the health transformers, we call them, and what they can be doing um, to really speed things up in this moment? Well, I think the entrepreneurs I've, I've, I think have had to pause for a second, simply for, for lots of ways. And it's made them um, more internally focused and, and think about um, the needs of a new healthcare delivery system. And they haven't been able to get out, for example, and go make calls. And they haven't been able to get their sales forces out there. And, and so they've started to think about, okay, uh, how can we do this differently? Um, and uh, I think that they have done, uh, you know, internal looking and they have decided to use virtual education in ways that they never have before. And I think it's going to speed up uh, the process of innovation. God knows healthcare needs to speed up. 
it's a, that's a great segue to um, one of my favorite topics, which is mindset. And, you know, we talk about the health moonshot mindset or the health transformer mindset. And you've got a global perspective. This is not just, you know, I, I know you've, you've done great work outside the U.S. as much as you have in the U.S. I'd love to hear your thinking around how mindset's been playing a role, you know, in the different ways that people are responding to adopting the technologies, how important it is, and what you see as the difference between, you know, the good systems and bad systems that relates to mindset from the top down. Well, first of all, I think that if you're uh, thinking about changing healthcare um, in, and, and introducing it into a, uh, either a delivery system or into a group, um, there, and you have to remember that healthcare is very conservative, very slow to move, and a change is very difficult for it. Um, and in order for it to change, you really have to have uh, a leader um, who is going to drive that sort of change. Uh, and it frequently, it will very infrequently bubble up from the bottom. It's more likely to come from the top down. And so if it's going to be about a system, it's going to be the CEO, it's going to be about a department or something of that sort, it has to be the leader of that department who is going to be the individual who's going to drive that. And I further would say that entrepreneurs have to understand that the healthcare delivery system is huge. Um, and one of the things you have to do is work within it. So if you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur and you have a new technology and you want to introduce it, find a champion um, who is going to, who is in the, the organization far enough up so they can make a difference and help lead that change. Um, and the bigger the organization, the harder it is to uh, drive change across it. What, what do you think the, mo the most important questions are for the entrepreneurs to ask as they kind of embark on those relationships, either new relationships or ones they've been spinning around, you know, with for a long time? What's the need? Uh, why is there a need uh, for this? And uh, what's the need in healthcare? And what are you, what are your problems? Um, what do you think about how you can do what, how can you do this, whatever it is you're doing better? And uh, I think uh, they they have to understand that they have to work within the system to get uh, they they're not going to do it um, in the vacuum um, and make make that sort of change. So you you chose obviously to serve on a number of boards, some now public company, digital health public companies like American Well and others on their way, and others just beginning the journey. Um, what is it about the entrepreneurs that, you know, and the companies that really made you specifically interested in giving your time and energy to helping these companies achieve their moonshots? Yeah, so I'm pr principally interested in uh, two things, the use of data uh, and the implementation uh, of the democratization of the delivery of healthcare. Uh, and if you take, say, American Well, uh, that's um, delivery of healthcare in a, in a new way, or if you take hymns, it's a delivery of drugs, or if you take um, uh, many of the others, um, uh, HR review, HX um, review, review. Yep. RX review, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. RX review, you see that they are bringing um, the 
um, information about how you get the right drug at the right price um, to individuals. And um, all of these things are, are bringing about um, information, transparency um, to the healthcare delivery system. Um, and so those are the, that's principally why I have joined these uh, various companies. Yeah. What, what do you what do you see and maybe what you saw, but now what you're seeing uh, as the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make when they kind of get, get, you know, get the foot in the door and even get a pilot program that that's not happening kind of post the foot in the door? Yeah, I think the, th the, the biggest mistake I, uh, I see frequently with entrepreneurs is they'll go to their easiest place to get the foot in the door. Um, and that may be their community hospital. Um, but frankly, the community hospital doesn't hold sway uh, with uh, the vast majority of healthcare systems across the country. It's easy. They can get their friend to bring them in. Uh, it's much harder to find, a, a get your foot in the door at um, in one of the major teaching hospitals. But nonetheless, that in the long run is a much harder, but a much uh, greater impact over the long pull. Excellent. You know, you want to do some questions from the from the audience? There's a lot coming in. We've got dozens of questions coming in for you, Toby. Um, you know, one of the themes that seems to be emerging is uh, around mental health um, and the, op, you know, sort of the, the impact of um, both value-based care and this new post-COVID world on, on how we really address that within the delivery of care. Whether it's mental health or other areas, um, what do you see as kind of the the most prescient or emerging areas that innovators should be focusing on now. Um, and, you know, there's a big audience of, of both investors on this, but also entrepreneurs and innovators. So we'd love, you know, the two or three areas, whether it's mental health or others that you think entrepreneurs and innovators should really be addressing in, in this post COVID world. Well, I think mental health is for a long time, it's been uh, prime for tele telehealth. Um, and because you never touch anybody, you don't do any blood tests, uh, you don't do, frankly, seldom do a physical exam. Um, and uh, telehealth can manage that. And I think group therapy is also very possible uh, that way. Uh, the demand is extraordinarily extraordinary and only expanded uh, by uh, the, uh, all the uh, anxiety that has been produced over the last year. Um, so I think that's a natural. I think you're going to see so many different things that you can manage. Let's take two of the chronic diseases, hypertension and diabetes. Um, diabetes, uh, why should anybody have to go to a hospital or their doctor's office to get their blood sugar uh, drawn or their um, blood pressure taken? Those ought to be able to be managed distantly, more frequently, better control, 
uh, algorithms are going to be a major uh, capability to doing that. Um, just like uh, the Cleveland Clinic now monitors everybody's EKG centrally of hospitalized patients. Why shouldn't this um, same sort of thing be done um, using algorithms for people's blood pressure, glucose, et cetera? So um, then, then you have the opportunities for AI to begin to look at all kinds of things, whether it's uh, dermatology or uh, pathology or um, x-ray images. Um, all of these wind up being uh, potential helps. Now, turn to the other side of things. Um, you, you, um, there's the business end of things. Think about the two hardest things that, and time-consuming and uh, people-intensive that come out of healthcare. One is making an appointment, and two, and you know we have hundreds of people in Cleveland who are doing nothing but answering the telephone and trying to make people uh, give people an appointment. Um, that ought to be able to be automated. Second thing is putting out a bill. You, we have coders who sit there and go through the charts. You ought to be able to read the chart, read the diagnosis, assign the CPT code, assign the payer, and put out a bill in about two nanoseconds. Uh, and that's, that's happening. And that's going to be uh, uh, decrease the cost of healthcare enormously. Um, uh, I, I think that's in everybody's interest, whether it's the payers or the uh, providers. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of uh, opportunities on the uh, business side of things to reduce the cost and, and implement uh, new approaches. Uh, to Toby, I know there's a, a theme near and dear to your heart from Cleveland Clinic, and it's around preventing clinician burnout. And in particular, this question comes from uh, Brad Artery from uh, Mocking, Mockingbird, uh, Mockingbird Health, which is, um, are organizations that focus on clinician well-being and preventing burnout going to really stand out from the rest to both attract clinical, cl clinical talent, but also make sure that they're setting an example for others? And in particular, how do you think about the model that you set out at Cleveland Clinic and how that translates. You mentioned a little bit in the intro, but I'd love to have you go deeper on that. Yeah, no, I, I uh, think that this is certainly one of the issues that is uh, driving doctors crazy. And stop and think about why this has happened. Um, well, first of all, doctors have lost autonomy. Uh, you, you can't, it's no longer the doctor with a black bag that goes has all the cures and diagnosis in his black bag. Um, he uh, is now part of a team. Uh, he is overwhelmed by the amount of data uh, that is coming at him. He, um, and uh, he, so he has to be part of a team because he just can't do it all himself uh, or herself. Um, and uh, finally, the, there is now uh, all these quality metrics uh, that, are, uh, that healthcare providers are uh, measured by. You know, and this is very unusual for a profession. I think the one, one of the things that you have to do is you have to listen to the providers and understand why the burnout has been so significant. And I think that there's an opportunity to take much of uh, what is routine work and move it to uh, lower 
qualified individuals. Uh, I think technicians, I think automation are going to be a big part of that. Um, and uh, why should any doctor be taking a blood pressure or a temperature or you know, asking all the questions that they have to ask? Um, I think we've got to supply the, the support um, and the technology that allow doctors to be in the decision-making uh, thinking process as opposed to the, the rote doing uh, process. And I think that's mostly what uh, physicians uh, would like to do. They didn't come into healthcare uh, to be scribes. Uh, I think the, um, the EMR, the electronic health record um, has been um, hated by almost every uh, physician. Uh, they've gotten reduced for, to a typist in many cases and hated by patients who wind up um, not being face-to-face -face with their physician. So there's going to be natural voice recognition um, and there's, uh, that is going to help uh, reduce that uh, amount of uh, work for physicians and allow better physician-patient interaction. Um, so, so burnout is major, major issue with 50% of the physicians in the country uh, reporting um, burnout symptoms and it decreases quality uh, of care. It, it makes early retirement. It's increased in the incidence of suicide. <clears throat> this is um, a, an issue that we can't, uh, we have to address. Um, and we have to address it with technology and help. And one of the, the trends we're also seeing, I don't know many doctors that want to be scribes. We are seeing a lot of doctors that are becoming doctorpreneurs. So clinicians who are also launching their, their own innovations, yep. tech transfer. I think it's a very exciting trend over the last few years. What are your thoughts on that? And, and um, do you think that more and more doctors as they're in their training are going to be almost learning business school and, and uh, you know, getting their medical degree at the same time in the future? Well, I hope so, uh, because healthcare has become a very big business. Um, and I, I'm delighted to see more physicians uh, be interested in business. Um, you know, I, I personally didn't have any business training, and I think it was the, the detriment of the Cleveland Clinic that I, I didn't. Um, I think the, that I it had those skills would have been uh, very helpful uh, in leadership and healthcare. Um, and I think also that it's uh, easy to teach a doctor to be a businessman. It's hard to teach a businessman to be a physician. And I think they're very different mindsets. Well, you're, you're, a, you're a proud father and grandfather, and I'd love to hear what advice you give or would give or will give to young people as they think about careers in medicine, careers and commitments to being an entrepreneur in healthcare. As you look out and, you know, think about somebody in their young 20s or mid 20s embarking on the beginning of their career, what's your advice to them or what would you say to them as we're in 2021 in a new historical context? 
Well, first of all, there's a lot of discussion about, well, would you ever go into healthcare again? And I, I think that it is a great career. How often can you get um, reasonably paid? You're not going to get rich like you would on Wall Street, but you're going to be reasonably paid and you're going to have a tremendous job satisfaction. Uh, and the other thing is, I think the opportunities that are coming along, um, you know, if you stop and think about the opportunities in healthcare, you can be a clinician, you can be a researcher, you can be an educator, you can be in business, um, you can be an entrepreneur, all, all of those things. And how many different professions give you the, all those opportunities um, to uh, participate? I just think that, um, you know, as we move from the art of medicine to the science of medicine, uh, data is going to lead us um, to better and better healthcare. And uh, it's going to be a triumphal uh, journey. The journey is going to have a lot of setbacks, but it's going to be exciting um, and fulfilling. Right, right. Well, how you know what is what does an ideal day look like post you know Cleveland Clinic? Your executive advisor on the board, you've got you know you're spending time with your children and grandchildren. What what is what does your ideal day look like? I know you can't be as um, uh, geographically um, adventurous as you want to are right now, but what what does your day ideal day or week look like right now, Toby? Well, you know, it's, it's finding out that more and more time is being spent on Zooms. Um, and it's interesting that uh, in some ways, I think Zooms increases your efficiency. Um, I think that's great for, uh, you know, the sort of conversations that you and I are having right now, because we know each other. It would be very hard to establish uh, a new relationship uh, on a personal level uh, and a long-term basis um, on Zoom. Uh, and I think the other thing that is um, missing in Zoom while it increases your efficiency uh, for having getting a lot of meetings done and you're not spending so much time on airplanes, um, it, um, I think that it does take away that sort of spontaneity of um, that that came in the office when you went to see somebody and said, you know, I got this problem and I don't know quite how to solve it. Um, and you're talking with somebody else back and forth and um, the um, energy around different ideas from different people brings new solutions. I've always said that I think innovation happens at the borders of knowledge. And, you know, uh, you need to have those sort of expansion of uh, knowledge and interactions on a regular spontaneous basis. And I think that's one of the things that's going to drive people back to the office. Um, and uh, other than the fact that they're missing the social interaction that comes from being with other people who are like minded. Um, so um, a lot of time spent on Zooms. Um, and increasingly getting an opportunity to read in a very diverse uh, way, which I didn't previously have that much opportunity before. We've got a whole audience of health transformers, of innovators. Um, 
What's your ask of the ecosystem? What do you wish more uh, health transformers were focusing on, were, were doing um, uh, over the, the coming years to really push the ball forward? Well, I think there's, there's a number of things we have to do. Um, I, I think I've drummed hard on the transparency of knowledge and data. Um, I think that's important. I think clearly we've got to figure out um, how we deal with these healthcare disparities. Um, and I think that we need to figure out how we wind up uh, taking a lot of the costs out of healthcare at the same time uh, in improving the, the quality. Um, those are huge categories, but nonetheless um, achievable. If you look back, I think we have um, certainly improved the quality of healthcare delivery. I'm not sure we've approached the others as well as we should have. Yeah, well, um, it, it's, it, feel, it does feel like a different moment now. Um, I completely agree. You know, I feel like we, we've had these conversations over the years and it, was, it seemed like it was more about hoping it would change. And now I feel like all the conditions are set for these things to actually, we're seeing them change, we're, it's happening. So I, I really feel it's a big difference. I, I, you know, in terms of my biggest insights from the things you shared, so many great things. Um, but what one thing that really uh, stood out to me, you know, we focus on three big themes with our health transformer community, this concept of, of health moonshots um, and you mentioned with, with Churchill storytelling, it's really about storytelling and being able to present, um, you know, what is your health moonshot? Because that can attract your uh, customers and investors and, and team, et cetera. Um, we focus on mindset and you talked about that concept of perseverance. Um, you really need to be able to persevere through the the long journey and then just this whole conversation we've been having around collaboration we we believe deeply that um, the opportunity uh, for collaborative innovation to really speed up uh, the innovation cycles is is significant it's great to see that now in in healthcare in so many exciting ways uh, Steve do you have a big biggest insight to share on your side yeah, you know, I, I think it's about consistency, Toby. You have been so consistent for the last six or seven years as you've been doing your visits with us and our community. I think you were a model CEO for so many other CEOs, but entrepreneurs who wanted, who wanted to look at what an entrepreneurial CEO of a hospital system should look like. And I just want to thank you for everything you've done, did, and are doing to help really carry the torch of innovation in healthcare. I think there is no better spokesperson for what needs to happen. And I really appreciate that you've chosen to really spend your time post your CEO role at Cleveland Clinic, collaborating with entrepreneurs, um, investors, partners to really make the future happen. So thank you, thank you, thank you from all of us at Startup Health. We look forward to having our next conversation, hopefully get to answer some of the questions that came in, but it's always great seeing you, Toby. Well, thank you very much. It's always my pleasure. And thank you for uh, continuing to encourage entrepreneurs 
along the way. Uh, we wouldn't have changed without them. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 330 companies, go to startuphealth.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.